0: You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. When I was much younger, still a fairly new Christian, um, I remember the first time that I tried to find a good uh, Bible reading plan, uh, because even though I had come to believe that the Bible was God's word, um, I actually hadn't read all of it before. Uh, And I remember there was an older gentleman who tried to offer me some advice. Um, He actually encouraged me not to start in Genesis and read the Bible through uh, from cover to cover like you would most books. Uh, And he made a a funny comment that kind of stuck with me and I've heard echoed by others. Uh, But he said that some of those early books in the Old Testament, like the book of Leviticus, uh, he said that that's where Bible reading plans go to die. Now I'm not sure that I would uh, completely agree with that statement anymore, uh, but I do understand what he was getting at. There are certain parts of the Bible that at times they they seem to fall into one extreme or the other. Uh, they can either be uh, monotonous, dry, tedious at times, or they can actually be uh, you know some of the most joy filled, encouraging and. Thought provoking passages uh, that you become eternally grateful for. And, and I think the difference between the two uh, actually depends largely on how you approach the text. Uh, I have to confess uh, that I didn't take the advice that I was given. And so I did start out in Genesis, but without really having any kind of a framework uh, to understand what I was reading. Um, So, you know, there were a lot of really weird and bizarre stories that that I encountered, and uh, that kind of kept me going at least for a little while. Uh, Then I got to Exodus and the life of Moses, and that was fine. Uh, But my determination did start to waver about the time that I began to get into all of those Mosaic laws, Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure that my Bible reading plan did eventually derail Somewhere around the book of Leviticus, but but I say that not because I don't think that there's any value in reading those books. I mean, there's actually a great wealth of wisdom to discover in books like Leviticus, um, and I'm actually not even saying that new believers shouldn't. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that they should wait until they're more mature in their faith to start reading the Old Testament. Uh, Because there's great value in those passages, even for new believers. Uh, But what I am saying is that I personally lacked any kind of a, a framework to understand the meaning and the purpose of those passages. And that's why it was such a struggle for me to read. Because there is a key that you need when it comes to unlocking a proper understanding of the Bible. Um, If you haven't figured that out yet, the key to understanding really all of Scripture, but especially uh, the Old Testament, is Jesus. If you don't first understand Jesus, it makes it a lot more difficult to understand anything else. I'm sad to have to admit this, but it wasn't until I was actually in college, when I was studying to be a pastor that I finally began to grasp and appreciate the whole counsel of God. And it was only then that I was able to stick with a Bible reading plan and work my way all through God's Word. It was then that I finally saw how Jesus was like a second Adam. You know, through the, the actions of the first Adam, we all fall, we all fell into sin. Uh, but then through the work of Jesus, who is a new and better Adam. Through him, we can finally be saved from sin. I saw Jesus is like a new and better Moses, just as Moses led his people out of slavery and bondage and into a promised land. So too, can Jesus lead us out of darkness and the slavery of sin so that we might enter into a heavenly promised land to be able to spend eternity with him? I even saw the sacrificial laws of Leviticus through new eyes as well. I mean, Jesus is like our high priest who is able to stand in the presence of God and make atonement for our sins. And Jesus is our spotless sacrifice whose blood was poured out on the altar so that we could be redeemed. And when you understand all of those ways that the Old Testament points ahead to Christ, uh, it makes it almost impossible for books like Leviticus to, to be dry or boring anymore. And, and I know that I, I've taken up a bit of our time this morning talking about my failed Bible reading plans and some difficult-to-understand passages uh, in the Old Testament, But I say that because in our text this morning, uh, Peter is going to make a very similar argument uh, to what I'm trying to make now, that Jesus is the key to unlocking and understanding everything in God's word. Without him, nothing else is going to make much sense. But through him, suddenly everything will come in to focus. So let me read our passage show you what I mean, um, and then let's see how this conversation relates to our ongoing conversation that we've been having the last few weeks about uh, revival and renewal. So hear from the word of the Lord this morning. Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold in the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of him. His holy prophets long ago. This is the word of the Lord. So, if you haven't been with us, if you haven't made it to uh, every uh, sermon in this series, uh, the last few weeks we've been tracing the theme of spiritual renewal and revival all throughout Scripture. Uh, Because as I've said before, it's not just a theme of the Bible, it really is the theme. Uh, All of the Bible, from Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, all the way through Revelation, all of the Bible is about the Lord's pursuit to restore that which had been ruined by sin. Um, I'd also like to remind you of John Piper's uh, definition for revival that we have been using. Uh, I've been mentioning that uh, every time uh, we approach these texts, because I want to make sure that we're all on the same page uh, and we understand exactly what we mean when we talk about renewal or revival or restoration. Uh, But John Piper defines revival as God doing among many Christians— At the same time, what he is doing all the time in individual Christians' lives, as people get saved and individually renewed around the world. So it's God doing on a broader scale in the life of a church or a community uh, what he's always doing in the lives of individuals. The Lord is always saving. He's always sanctifying. And spiritual renewal or revival is just him doing that on a larger scale. So the first couple of weeks, we saw that, one, revival is not the normal experience of the Bible. Uh, It's kind of the exception to the rule. Uh, We saw that as soon as the people broke out into revival at the dedication of Solomon's temple the Lord actually had to go and speak to Solomon that very night, reminding him that that time isn't going to last. Then the second week, we saw that there are often long periods in between these seasons of renewal, uh, which are often very difficult and dark. The people of God had to live as exiles in Babylon for 70 years before the Lord allowed them to return. Last week, we saw one of the greatest tools at our disposal for bringing about renewal. Um, I said that it's really the closest thing to a silver bullet that we've got, uh, which is the word of God. We looked at Nehemiah uh, to see how God's people had gathered together in this ruined shell of a city that was once Jerusalem. Um, After they returned from exile, they gathered to listen To a man, read to them the first five books of the Bible. Ezra didn't do anything but stand there and read scripture. But that scripture alone was sufficient for worship and and revival to break out as a result. So we've looked at the the role of the word of God. And now this morning, we're going to look at the role of the word who is God, uh, Jesus Christ. What part does Jesus play when it comes to renewing and reviving our church and our our community? And according to Peter in this sermon or this excerpt from his sermon that I just read to you in Acts chapter three, there are two roles that Jesus plays. And you see these in two phrases that I want us to pay close attention to in this text. First, he says that Jesus is the one who brings about times of refreshing times of refreshing. And then secondly, he says that Jesus will also one day bring about the total restoring of all things. That's really the the main idea of this passage, if you're a note taker, Uh, is the reality that both times of refreshing and the total restoring of all things can only come from Jesus. Both times of refreshing and the restoring of all things can only come from Jesus. So let's begin with this first phrase, times of refreshing. Um, And since I've jumped forward again in the biblical timeline of Scripture, uh, let me just give you some context to this text, especially since I just read uh, not even the full sermon that, that Peter gave, but just a little excerpt from it. Uh, But in the chapter before our text today, in Acts chapter two, uh, the disciples of Jesus had just received the Holy Spirit. These tongues of fire, they came down and rested on their shoulders and there was this loud noise, like a mighty rushing wind. And then suddenly these disciples were able to speak even in uh, the tongues or languages of others. Uh, and, And after that, there was an impromptu sermon that was preached by Peter uh, to all the Jews that had gathered in that city to celebrate the uh, Pentecost. Uh, And others had heard all of this commotion that was going on, and so they gathered around the disciples. And so Peter, he he takes the opportunity to preach the gospel. And if you read, we're told that about 3,000 people were saved that day and baptized, which You know, it's not bad considering that was Peter's first sermon. Uh, Then, in the wake of all of that, as you get to Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they go to the temple uh, that was there in Jerusalem to pray. Uh, And there is a lame beggar there. Not lame because he was uncool, but lame because he couldn't walk. And apparently he hadn't heard about everything uh, that had been going on with Jesus' disciples, uh, somehow he had missed out on the memo. And so thinking that Peter and John were really just like all the other Jews that periodically like walked by uh, on their way to the temple, uh, he asks them as they walk by for some spare change. And you may even uh, have Peter's response to that memorized if you uh, have been in church long enough or you grew up in Sunday school. Uh, but Peter's famous response to him asking for uh, money, uh, Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That, that's Peter's response to this beggar. And as you continue reading that story, you see that this man, didn't just get up and walk. That would have been a miracle in and of itself, but we're actually told that he stood up and he started leaping through the temple. I mean, he is hopping around and he is dancing. And so just like the large crowd that gathered around Peter when he and the other disciples started speaking in tongues, so too, now there's this other large crowd that is gathering in the wake of this second miracle. And since the first time that Peter preached, about 3,000 were saved and baptized, uh, Peter decides that maybe this is another good opportunity for a second impromptu sermon. So Peter lets the crowd know that it wasn't through his own power or piety that he was able to make this man walk again. He says that the power came from none other than the very author of life, from the very man that these Jews had just handed over to Pontius Pilate, Jesus. Jesus, his spirit, his spirit now dwelled inside these disciples. And that's what allowed this man to walk once more. And Peter says that none of this should have really come as a surprise to these Jews, because all of it was foretold long ago by the prophets. They were laying out you know, all kinds of clues foreshadowing the Messiah. There were enough breadcrumbs that had been dropped along the trail that anyone who was paying attention to their Bibles, they should have been able to figure this out. But those clues were missed by those in this crowd, So acting in ignorance, uh, Peter says that they, along with all of the other uh, rulers in Jerusalem, they had Jesus put to death. And you might think that that's where this story should end, is with Peter's uh, accusation against them and, and chiding them because they put the Messiah to death. But that's actually not the case. Peter says that in spite of that reality that they crucified their long-awaited Messiah, Peter says that there can still be hope. Verse 19, Peter says that they can still repent and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I just want us to stop and think about this for a a moment because many in that crowd that, that Peter was speaking to were, were likely to have literally been a part of the crowd that had just watched Jesus die on the cross not that long before. Many of them were probably some of the same ones who had been jeering at Jesus and crying out to him to have him crucified. And yet, Peter says that even those individuals can have times of refreshing that can still come their way from the presence of the Lord. That's the only time that phrase is used in the Bible, uh, but it's just referring to the reviving or the refreshing of your soul when it is brought back to life after you submit your life to Christ. And if even the crowds who uh, who had Jesus crucified, even if those crowds can be offered such hope, Well, then how much hope can be offered to you and I as well? We're given a hope here that our sins can be blotted out. That word to blot out, uh, it's actually the same Greek word that John will use later in the book of Revelation when he talks about Jesus wiping away every tear. That's the same word. Just as Jesus can wipe away the teardrops flowing down your cheeks in the new heavens and the new earth, so too can he wipe away and blot out the sin from your heart. But only, as Peter says, if you repent and turn back. This is where any true season of spiritual renewal or revival must begin. You can't simply claim to love God. I mean, there are many who say that they love the Lord, yet they will spend eternity separated from him. You must also repent. I mean, that's actually the greatest way that you can prove your love for the Lord by acknowledging that you have sinned against him, and by admitting and crying out to him and understanding how you have offended such a holy God. But then you must also follow up that repentance by turning away from your sin. Because it's not repentance if you just keep on sinning. If you just say that you have repented and keep on sinning, then you haven't really done anything in fact you're just sinning all the more boldly so if we want to experience a time of refreshing and we want that to flow through our church this is where it begins if you're not a christian then it starts with you personally repenting of your sin to the lord so that through christ your sins may be blotted out And if you already are a follower of Christ, then it involves you continuing to repent your sins to the Lord and to your brothers and sisters in Christ so that your faith might grow and be strengthened. So that's the first phrase that I wanted us to focus on. But let's also look at a second. Um, I want to draw your attention to verse 21 in his sermon. Peter then goes on to say that heaven must receive Christ. Uh, in other words, Jesus will go to heaven and he will sit at the right hand of the Father until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So there can be times of refreshing through Christ uh, if you submit your life to him. Uh, but the total and complete restoring of all things will not come until the end of the age at Christ's return. And there are a lot of uh, conflicting ideas that Christians have when it comes uh, to how this will happen and to the fate of our world. Um, many that I, I've known, uh, they, they just see everything on earth really is merely temporary. You know, it's almost like we're on a sinking ship, uh, the earth is kind of like the Titanic that is struck an iceberg. Uh, and so the Christian life is, is really nothing more than just trying to get into a lifeboat. Uh, we are trying to get off of this sinking planet as fast as humanly possible so that we might find the safer shores of heaven. You know, that's how many Christians see our world and the Christian life. But let me suggest a different way of seeing things. Because notice the flow of this passage. Um, After Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection, we're told that he will then be received by heaven. But that's only a temporary receival. Jesus is just in heaven waiting until the time when he can come back to earth. And he's coming back to earth so that he might restore all things, just as the prophets foretold. Um, Some of you may remember, maybe not, um, but not long after I got here, uh, I preached a sermon on Revelation chapter 21. uh, And that passage actually speaks about the earth and all of the former things uh, passing away Um, I don't really expect you necessarily to to remember that. Some of you probably weren't even a part of this church yet uh, when I preached that. Uh, But I spoke about two words uh, that are in the Greek language that both are translated into English as new. There's neos and there's kinos. Uh, Neos means something that is new in regards to time Uh, Like, you know, speaking of a a newborn baby, for example, it means that something hasn't been around for very long. Uh, But canos, on the other hand, it it means something that is new in regards to quality. You know, it's kind of like seeing a vintage car being restored to its original condition. You you know that regarding its age, that car may be old, but it's like new. It it looks brand new new. And in that passage, in Revelation chapter 21, the word that John uses to describe this new creation is actually the latter, not the former. John didn't say that this earth is going to be replaced by a completely new earth. Rather, he was saying that this earth is going to be restored so that it can become like new once again. Uh, There's an old... country song or a gospel song. I think I've heard the Gaithers sing this before. You may be familiar with it. Uh, But there's a line in the song that says, uh, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Um, And and in a sense, that that is true. Uh, We will only live on this earth for a finite number of days until we pass on into eternity. Uh, But if it's true that earth is not our home, that we're just passing through, well, so too is it also true that heaven is actually not our home, that we are just going to be passing through there as well. But because our ultimate home, that place where we are going to spend all eternity, is actually back here on a restored earth that has been fully and ultimately healed from all sin and all brokenness and disease. Now, often in the New Testament... Uh, The imagery of fire is used to speak of the last days. Uh, We're told that the heavens will be set on fire. Uh, We're told that the old heavens and the old earth, they will just dissolve. Um, And you can understand this to to be, you know, the kind of fire that would just reduce the world to ash uh, and rubble, you know, just like you know, the world was once destroyed by water in the days of Noah. You know, maybe too, it it'll, it'll be destroyed again by fire. Uh, but you could also see this not so much as a destructive fire, uh, but as a refining fire. Uh, throughout most of history, that was how gold was purified. Uh, gold actually has a lower melting point than many other m- metals. Uh, so if you melt it down, all of those other impurities... Uh, known as the dross, they all kind of float to the surface and you can kind of skim them off the top so that when the gold hardens again, it is pure gold. There's no other impurities that remain. And that is the ultimate fate of our world. It's one of preservation, not one that will simply perish and pass away. And so as long as you've submitted yourself to Christ then you can let that future hope of a fully restored, beautiful world, you can let that actually give you hope even now when you face some terrible and dark times in your life. Um, I love the the way that Billy Graham once put it. I think I've said this before, uh, but he said, I've read the last page of the Bible and it's all going to turn out all Right. Like, I love the way that he put that. I mean, we can read the last page of the Bible and we can have full assurance of how it is all going to turn out. And we even see a glimpse of how it's going to unfold, even in this text in Acts chapter three. But the key to understanding this hope and letting it be your personal hope is Jesus, Without Jesus, the Bible really is just a collection of strange writings. But when we see that that Jesus is the thread that ties all of Scripture together, you'll begin to see how Jesus really is the key, both to times of refreshing in this life and of the total restoring of all things in the life to come. And you begin to see that if we really do want any hope for spiritual renewal in our own personal lives, or if we want a a season of revival in the life of our church, or if we want God to pour out his grace and bring about restoration to our community, then it all begins with Jesus and it ends with him. He is the key. So let me pray. Father, we do just thank you so much for these passages that we've studied over the last month. Um, I pray that, that we would not be quick to forget them. Um, I pray that we would remember, just as I said in the, the beginning, Father, that renewal and, and restoration, it is not just a theme of Scripture. Father, it, it is the theme. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, every chapter of the Bible, from from Genesis chapter 3 onward, it is your pursuit to restore a broken people. So so may we just be a church that that seeks for uh, and longs for revival. May we be a church that seeks after uh, you to to revive and to restore uh, the lost souls that are living in this community, Father. I ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name, amen.